are listening to Rumination Tuesday, May the 2nd, in the year of our Lord, 2023, to Law and Gospel. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. With me will be Mark Smith. As we take a listen to a hymn, and this Sunday's hymn is going to be At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. Two verses of At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. This is a wonderful hymn, but its author is unknown. It came about around the 8th century, although some would place it as early as the 5th century. It's a hymn that reflects the ancient Christian observance of the catechumenate. What's that? Those are those being confirmed. And after a period of catechesis, converts joined the church in the waning darkness of Easter dawn. Following baptism, the neophytes were clothed with clean white garments, representing their newfound righteousness in Christ. This is the hymn of the day for Easter 5 in all the lectionary cycles and is also appropriate during the Easter Vigil. And so we're going to be taking a look at this hymn At the Lamb's High Feast, we sing. And with us on the radio is Pastor Mark Smith. What do you think of this hymn? I love it, Tom. It's a it's a great Easter hymn. I use it I usually use it several times during the Easter season and and you know it's appropriate it's appropriate for any distribution of the Lord's Supper. It really is. You know, um, I, I I was looking at the bottom of the page. It says it was sometime in the from the 5th century to the 10th century. You know, t- to think that there, to think that the theology of the early church was so developed as to come up with such a beautiful, rich theological hymn uh, in those early centuries, it's just, it's just amazing. Don't you agree? Yes. In fact, the Book of Concord, which is the Confessions of the Lutheran Church, often quote from the early church fathers that indicate that they're in agreement with what we believe, teach, and confess about salvation by grace, through faith, not on account of works. And the law and gospel distinctions are found even in the early church. Well, 
Well, I'll tell you, it's, it's, a, it's a lengthy hymn. We better get to it, huh? Stanza one. Okay. At the Lamb's high feast we sing, praise to our victorious King, who has washed us in the tide, flowing from his pierced side. Alleluia. So we can't sing this during Lent because it's got the alleluias in it. But right. after Lent, we can. And in the hymnal I'm looking at, it's under the category of the Lord's Supper. So yes. what does it mean, the high feast? Well, it's obviously the high feast that the hymn's referring to is uh, the Lord's Supper. Yes. And what I find interesting, if you ask most Christians... They're saved because they've been washed in the waters of baptism. But what does this say? Well, you were washed in the crimson tide of our Savior's holy, precious blood. Flowing from his pierced side. Right. And, and that's because he was the Lamb of God, and he was doing the sacrifice on our behalf. He was our substitute. In other words, we couldn't pay for our sins, but being God and a perfect man, he was innocent when he paid for sins, and therefore, being God, those sins he paid for were the sins of the whole world. Yes. His precious blood is of infinite value. And uh, his blood and his alone, because he is the God-man, he is the one and only Savior, his blood could atone for the sins of all time, the sins of the whole world, the sins of all people. When was the first blood pierced? Uh, I would say uh, at his circumcision. Not for Jesus in the Bible. Oh, in the Bible? Oh, I suppose it when uh, when God uh, killed the the animals to provide skins for Adam and Eve. What do you think, Tom? Is that right? Oh, it looks like we lost Mark. No, I'm here. I'm here. Oh, momentarily they lost me, but I'm back. Okay, good. Can you hear me, Tom? Yes. So I was, I was trying to say, I think the first blood was shed by God Himself when He slayed the animals to provide skins to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. What do you think? Yes, I, I absolutely agree with you. All right, stands of three, please. Where the Paschal blood is poured, death's dread angel sheathes the sword. Israel's hosts triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. Alleluia. This is my favorite verse, I think, of, of all eight, because it connects, it connects uh, Christ's shedding of his blood and... Uh, and, and applying that to us through our baptism, and he connects that with the blood that was spread upon the on the doorposts uh, to save the people of Israel during the Passover. 
Right. And how does that line go? Death's dread angel. Who's that referring to? That's referring to the Passover angel that went over all of Egypt. Uh, and whoever did not have the blood applied to the doorposts, uh, they lost the firstborn. And so sheathed the sword means that he did not take out his sword. That over is right. Those doorways. That's right. Now, I believe the death's dread angel was none other than Jesus himself. Mm -hmm. The second yes. person of the Trinity. Uh-huh. And after that, Israel hosts triumphant go through the wave that drowns the foe. What's that referring to? That's referring to the Red Sea crossing. Excellent. Yes. So whoever wrote this really put a lot of information in here. Oh, yeah. Right away to Jesus Christ. Yeah, connecting okay. it already with the Passover. Yep. And that's why we call it the Passover, because he passed over the houses. He sheathes his sword. The, all the houses that had that, the blood of the lamb spread upon the doorposts. Exactly. Which meant that those were the faithful. Yeah. Because it's just they believed like, what Moses said. It's just like uh, the angel, you could say the angel of death passes over we, we believers who are baptized. Exactly. That's right. In fact, you pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. That, that's right. And that's referring to Satan himself. And that's why we are delivered, because of the blood of the Lamb on the cross. That is right. All right. I'll do four. Praise we Christ, whose blood was shed, Paschal bread, with sincerity and love, eat we manna from above. Now, the word Paschal might not be understood by children in your family. I would say that's, a, that's the same as Passover, wouldn't you, Tom? Yes, that's correct. It's just another word for the Passover blood is poured. And praise we Christ, whose blood was shed, Paschal victim, Paschal bread. So with sincerity and love, eat we manna from above. Now, I thought manna stopped when they got into the land of Canaan. That is true, but... Uh, that manna, Christ is the real manna from heaven. You know, Tom, isn't it interesting that uh, the the first first stanza talks about our victorious king, but several times after that, it talks about Christ as the victim, himself the victim, Christ Christ the victim, Christ the priest. Uh, so he's he's not only the victor, but in order to be victorious. He, him, he had to be the victim for all of us. Well said. In, in other words, Jesus is the one who was our substitute in pain for our sins when we were unable to do that. And the manna that's being spoke about, I think we could say is the bread of the Lord's Supper. Right. 
Yeah, the the, the real the real bread of life. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. I am the bread of life, and the the hymn says, "Eat we manna from above." Exactly. And so, that's really God. When we do the words of institution over the Lord's Supper, we don't believe the bread becomes body or the wine becomes blood. That's Roman Catholic. We believe that in, with, and under the elements of bread and wine are indeed the body and blood of Jesus Christ. He is indeed, his body and blood is indeed present in the Lord's Supper, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this Sunday because uh, one of the four churches, we have a confirmation going to take place. We completed weeks of confirmation, and the person is being confirmed as a Lutheran. And so this is a great hymn to sing during the Lord's Supper. No yes, doubt it is. It. Memorable one for him or her. It's a her. All right, stanza five, please. Mighty victim from the sky, hails fierce powers beneath you lie. You have conquered in the fight. You have brought us life and light. Alleluia. There's that word I think victim you said, again. I think you said hails. Let's see. Hail, I mean hell. Hails. Vic, hell's <laughs> fierce pot. Yeah, you're right. No, <laughs> we've had a little bit of hail in Missouri lately, but no, it's talking about hell's uh, fierce powers beneath you lie. But there's that word victim again, Tom. Yes. Um, what does he mean that hell's fierce powers beneath Christ lies? It's been placed under his feet. Uh, in fact, um, uh, I'm trying to think that passage where it, it says uh, all all of our, his our enemies, sin, death, and hell will be placed under his feet, uh, and uh, Satan himself. Did you see the Passion movie about Christ's death? Uh, you're talking about uh, the which one? Well, the latest one. There's several that are out. R, you know. Had more. Oh, people you're talking than about. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I have seen that. It's been some time since I saw that, but yes, I have seen it. Passion of the Christ. Do you remember the opening? Do you remember the opening scene? Yes, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, he's he's actually he stomps uh, the serpent. Under his feet. Excellent. That's what I think of when you read, Hell's fierce powers beneath you lie. Yeah, that's he a crushes, fulfillment of a... That, that's right. That's the fulfillment of, uh, Genesis, of Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between thee and say? the woman. What? What does it say? It says uh, that's uh, God tells God tells Satan, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed." That is Jesus, the Virgin Born. 
he will crush your head even though you bruise his heel. Well said. So that's where he is victim, that his heel is bruised, and that is the crucifixion. Crushing the head of a Satan, of a snake, leads to death. But crushing right. an ankle just leads to a wound. And that's why Jesus was able to be raised from the dead, because he's not going to be in eternal death like the serpent Satan is and his followers. Right. All right. I'll do six. Now no more can death appall. Now no more the grave enthrall. You have opened paradise and your saints in you shall rise. So that's a great verse. Did he open He opened he opened the grave. Now more no more can death appall. No more need we fear death really because it's it's reduced to a shadow and no more the grave enthrall. That's talking about uh, when, when we're enthralled by the grave, we're covered by it. But uh, on the last day, Christ will open all the graves and raise us all up. No more will the grave cover us and uh, envelop us. I would go one step further as okay. to what Jesus said to Martha. Right. Remember, whoever yes. believes in me will he never were dead. die. Yes, that's right. When was we need not paradise? The, we need not fear the grave. When was paradise first mentioned in the crucifixion? When was paradise first mentioned? You have opened paradise. Oh, you will be with me in paradise. He said that to the thief on the cross. This very day, you'll be with me in paradise. So the thief didn't have to be buried. He went right, right in fact, to paradise. In fact, because he was a criminal, he was a thief, his body was just probably cast out on the garbage heap, the dung heap. Right. And so I see a difference. When you die here on earth, you immediately go to paradise in the spirit. And then on judgment day, the saints shall rise. Right. That's their bodies from the dead. Right. So that's really a, a two kind of thing here. The kingdom of God is the church here on earth, but then there's the interim when your spirit goes to heaven at the very moment of your earthly death, and then judgment day when your body is raised to rejoin with your spirit. That's right. You really made a good point of how much theology is in here. It's rich. I, I make it. I make a distinction between the Bible and theology. Do you know what I mean by that? Uh, I think you'd better explain it, Tom. <laughs> I think I do, yes. but you better explain it. The scribes, many of them, had memorized the Bible but they didn't believe Jesus was the Christ. Right. So they knew the history of the Bible, but they didn't know the theology of the Bible. Yeah. 
And remember, remember on the road to Ema on the road to Emmaus, that's what Jesus did for the two disciples. He interpreted the theology of yeah. the Bible, even though they had heard many of these Bible verses. Like yeah. a very common one was, you know, from the um, Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They knew that, that Psalm, but they didn't understand it. Right. That's it's like, the task it's, of a pastor. That's right. It's like what Jesus said to the, to the scribes. And I think, I think the Pharisees, he says, you search the scriptures because in them yes. you think you find eternal life. And they, those scriptures are they which testify of me. See, they would search the scriptures thinking that it's just a matter of yep. keeping all the rules, all the laws. But Jesus yes. is making the point, those scriptures are all speaking about me. That's a great the verse whole, to bring up. Yeah, the whole Bible is about him. They knew the Bible, but they didn't know him. Right. And that's what we do in adult confirmation. We spent weeks and then the meaning of the commandments, the creed, the Lord's prayer, baptism, and the Lord's supper. And then we have the joyous good news of one being confirmed now and another one going to be confirmed in about two weeks. And that's because they attended those classes. Did you do much in adult instruction? Uh, adult instruction? You mean yeah. what, over the... Over the past couple of years that I helped out a congregation? No, uh, in your own congregation. Oh, yeah. Yes. Periodically. Periodically, yeah. they, there would be a need for adult instruction. Yes. But mainly we do youth confirmation. Right. And that, that's that always was, fun. That's always. I always enjoy teaching confirmation. I know there's, sad to say, there's some pastors that don't look forward to teaching confirmation, but I always enjoyed it. Yes, I did too. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. All right. Stanza seven. Okay. Easter triumph, Easter joy. This alone can sin destroy. From sin's power, Lord, set us free. Newborn souls in you to be. Alleluia. I think, I think a lot of people, you know, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, this pretty much nails this hymn down as an Easter hymn. But not necessarily, because, you know, really, every Sunday is a little Easter to us. Yes. Well said. Yeah. If you, if you do a sermon and you don't mention the resurrection or the crucifixion, it's probably a lecture, not a sermon. Right. You've got to tie every passage in the Bible points to his crucifixion, his resurrection, and that's why every Sunday is really Easter Sunday. Yeah. And that's but, why really this hymn, this hymn could be used uh, every every Sunday throughout the year, not just yes. Easter. Yes. Yes, especially with the Lord's Supper. So the interesting sentence here, this alone can sin destroy. That needs to be explained. How does Easter alone destroy sin? 
Well, if Christ was not raised from the dead, we would still be in our sins. Excellent. Yeah, that's 1 Corinthians 15, Mm -hmm. where Paul makes that point again and again. And that's an excellent point that you make, that this is why sin is destroyed, which means though we continue to sin, we are no longer held accountable for our sin because Jesus was held accountable for our sin. That's something that needs to be interpreted to people so they understand that Easter is really when sin is destroyed. Okay, stanza eight, please. Father, who the crown shall give, Savior, by whose death we live, Spirit, guide through all our days, three in one, your name we praise, Alleluia. And I forgot to mention, this is a doxological verse wherein all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. Which means what? We stand for this That's final right. verse. We stand for this final verse. Now, you know what I find interesting in these hymns we look at? Very few of them have an amen at the end. Right. But in the old hymnal, almost all of them had an amen. That's right. <laughs> I mentioned that in a sermon recently. And what amen means is that I believe what I just said. And the organist right. now plays an amen after every hymn. <laughs> yeah, I remember I remember a time when people would actually say, why don't we sing the amen after a certain hymn? And uh, frankly, uh, a, musician won ex- a musician gave me an explanation. They said it, it just doesn't fit in in certain hymns. I don't understand it, but, uh, you know, I'm not a musician either. Yeah, there is a way to play the amen knowing what key you're in. So it takes a little practice, but the organist we have right now, she does that, and it's just excellent. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Smith, in helping us with At the Lamb's High Feast We Sing. We're going to be singing it Sunday with a confirmation. And so... We'll be able to tell you more about that next week. God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check out to Law & Gospel and mail to Law & Gospel P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132, or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.